So it's really good to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started with our, our weekly Bible study. Um, let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, thank the Lord for the lunch we've had and, and for the time we have together and that He'll bless our time as we study His Word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for all the many blessings that You have poured on our lives, for new jobs, for better paying jobs, uh, for health and opportunities. Uh, we thank you for the lunch that was provided for us today. We pray that you will use it to bless our bodies so that our bodies can bless you. We thank you for this time together as we open up your word, as we study your word, um, as we learn more about you, Jesus, about the life that you, when you spent uh, here on the earth uh, as man uh, and became man so that we could know you and understand you and uh, love you and believe you and, and serve you and and walk with you. So help us now as we open up your word to learn more about you. Um, I pray that our minds and our hearts and our lives will be focused for the next few minutes on your truth. I pray that you will take those truths and bury them deep in our hearts so that we can carry them out of here and live them out and share them with others. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if y'all remember, guys, we've been studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. That means we've been taking the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've compiled them all together into one chronological story so that we can understand the life of Jesus. The last time that I was with you guys was last month, and we finished up John chapter 9. Does anybody remember what we were talking about in John chapter 9? John chapter 9. It had a lot to do with a, a man who had a certain physical problem. What was the physical problem? That he, he was had? blind. He was blind. He couldn't see. And Jesus healed this blind man. And, and remember, Jesus healed the blind man. And the blind man could then see Jesus. But remember Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the religious leaders of that day, they saw Jesus and became blinded by him, didn't they? By seeing him, they became blind, and the blind man was able to see. And we talked together about how when we read the Bible and we talk about all of these physical problems that people have, um, it's very similar today, right? We, we, have, uh, we are all in this room and struggle with sickness and disease, um, and we know others who are still struggling with sickness and disease. And so it, 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 there's a real legitimate uh living aspect to this that, that we can identify with these people that are hurting that Jesus is coming to that Jesus is helping and Jesus is uh, saving and uh, not only that but we talked about in the past how those physical ailments often point to spiritual ailments so what would I mean if I said that a person is blind to God what does that mean that he doesn't, he couldn't see him. He can't. You can't see. Now, now, none of us can physically see God with our eyes, right? The Bible says no man is. But seen. I think it means that he can't see anything that God has done. Okay, so he's blinded to the realities of God in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say that God is omnipresent, what do I mean by that? He's everywhere. He's everywhere at the same time. So God is everywhere, but we don't see him, right? The Bible says God is a spirit. And you can't see a spirit with your natural eyes. But there, a believer can see God, right? Mm-hmm. A believer can see God. 
when a person has become a believer by faith, when they hear the Word of God, they receive the Word of God, and they believe the Word of God, they become believers, they can now see God. Now, they don't see Him with their physical eyes, but they see Him with their, their heart and their mind, right? Mm-hmm. What would I mean if I said that a person is spiritually crippled? What does that mean, spiritually crippled? Lacks faith in the Word. Okay, lack faith in the Word. But what does it mean to be physically crippled? If you're a physically crippled person, what does that mean? And able to do physical things. Okay, why? A crippled because person. Okay, you may have been in an accident. Maybe been your been legs don't work. Maybe your hands don't work. Maybe you've been paralyzed or something. So, a person who is physically lame is someone who cannot walk. Mm-hmm. What would it mean to be spiritually lame? Spiritually dead. Well, it, spiritually lame. Lacking, spiritually lacking. Yeah. So if you physically can't walk when you're lame, what would it mean to not be able to walk spiritually? Physically handicapped. What would that mean? What is it? Well, okay. Well, let me ask you Immature. this question. What does it mean to walk with God? What does that mean? To, to obey. To obey Him. He says, "If you love me, obey my commandments." Mm-hmm. Right. I think walk, but you have to walk by faith. You have to walk in believing. But I think too, it's like as far as like making sure you stay in continuous worship, and you know what I'm saying. I th- you know, I mean, of course, you have to, you know, do the Ten Commandments and do, do go ahead and, and worship on the Sabbath. But I'm saying like when you when you walk with God, I think you're like literally you're keeping Him there beside you all the time. You know, you're in continuous worship with God. Right, and not only this, that's very right, Heather. Not only is He beside you. But he's in you. Mm-hmm. And if he's in you, he comes out of you. So to physically walk with God means to walk in the same path that Christ walked. Oh, a path of self-sacrifice, a path of loving others and loving the Father. Right? Like that verse that I, I crucify my flesh daily that I may not sin against. Yeah. yeah. So to, a person who is walking with God is someone who uh, has faith, they believe. And that faith comes out in their their life, in the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they think, the way they act. So, if I go downtown on a Saturday night, none of y'all are going to do that, but I were to go downtown on a Saturday night and see some of my friends in a club drinking and partying and dancing, could 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 I say that they were walking with God in that situation? No. No. No, that's not what it means to walk with God, does it? Right? So if I if I have a friend and they're they're uh, cohabiting with their their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they're not married, is that walking with God? No. No. Right. So to walk with God means to do the things that He commands us to do. It means to believe Him, to trust Him, and that belief and trust is played out in the way that we talk, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we live. You see. So a person who would be spiritually crippled is someone who cannot what? Can't can't walk with God, you see? And so Jesus is coming along and He's healing these people. He's giving them sight to see not only the sunshine, but to see Him and to see His truth. He's healing these paralyzed people. Not only can they take up their bed and walk, but now they can what? Walk with God. 
You see how that works? And so as Jesus is doing these works, we find that there are certain people who receive him and believe him, and there are also people who reject him and hate him. And so we've seen this conflict between him and his enemies. Remember how at the end of it, they said, oh, are we blind too? Remember they asked Jesus, oh, you're saying we're blind? Now remember, these people were the most educated, most religious people in the whole country. In all of the known world at that time, they were the most religious people that you would ever want to meet. And for someone to come to someone that religious and tell them that they're blind and can't see God, they would take offense to that, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. So you see where this conflict is coming in. In the same way that if someone is not living with God, if someone is not walking with God, and you come to them and remind them that they're not walking with God, how are they going to react to that? Yeah, stay out of my business. Don't judge me. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? That's the reaction you're going to get from them, isn't it? And so we see this conflict constantly going on. So Jesus is walking along, and Jesus is sharing his Father's truth with everyone. He is the truth, right? He's sharing that truth with others. And depending on the person, they are either going to receive and believe that truth, or they're going to what? Reject it. Reject it and not believe it at all and hate it. And when someone's telling you the truth and you don't want to hear it, what is your natural reaction to that? When someone is telling you truth and you don't want to hear it. Denial. Denial. Mm. Right? Right? Yeah, whatever. Right? It's basically when we were little kids, it's an adult it's an adult version of sticking your fingers in your ears and going, ah, la, 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 I can't hear you. Right? And as adults, we learn to express that in different ways, don't we? We cuss people out. We tell them to mind their own business. We tell them not to judge us. We avoid them, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed that when you're not living the right way, when you're living the wrong way, one of our general tendencies when we fall into sin, when we, we're not living the right way, is to avoid people who know us, to avoid people that will hold us accountable for our actions, to avoid people who will call us, Call us to bearing on what we're doing. Have you ever noticed that we do that? We we avoid. It's the same way with the police, right? If you if if you're riding dirty, you avoid the police, right? If he gets on your bumper, what do you do? You sit up straight and make sure you don't swerve. You see, because the law points to our flaws. The law points to the things that are wrong with us. And if we don't want to change those things. If we don't want to change who we are, then what do we do with the law? We avoid it. Just like we try to avoid the police. Or when you were a kid as a, a kid in school, you avoided the, the principal or you avoided the teacher. You tried to do things where the teacher wouldn't catch you. Well, Jesus is coming along and teaching these people, and as he is doing this, he is exposing not only those who are his, but he's exposing those who are not his. You see how that works? So his truth goes out. He proclaims this truth. And then based on who you are and what what's in your heart, you will react to Jesus in one way or the other. Does that still apply to me and you today? What about me and you as Christians? Are there times in our lives, even as Christians, where we 
want to avoid the truth, we, we, we tend to fall out and fall back into our old ways of thinking. We tend to fall back into our old lifestyle. Oh, oh, is yeah. that possible as a Christian? Yeah. yeah, you better believe it is. We're not willing to give up ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, the reality is, though, if I truly am a child of God, then I'm going to act like my father. Right? Children act like their parents. Have you ever noticed that before? Mm-hmm. Every one of you in this room get your, your skin color, your eye color, your hair color, and probably your accent and your your uh, uh, personality from your parents. Y'all all heard the saying to chip off the old block, right? Yeah. yeah. Chip off the old block. You look just like your mama or you look just like your daddy. You see? Or your mom might say you act just like your dad. Yes. Yeah, you see? Yes. You see? And so the reality is that if I am a child of God, if I truly am a child of God, then I'm going to act like my dad. I'm going to act like my father. And that is what Jesus did. Jesus came and showed us the Father's will. He lived it out in front of us. And people's reactions were based on that. So last time we were together, as we were talking about the life of Christ, we talked about him healing the blind man. We talked about the blind man receiving him. And we talked about the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, rejecting him and pushing him away. Now, with that said, we're going to see Jesus go into another dialogue, another conversation, and he's going to speak parabolically. Now, y'all remember we've talked about parables in the past. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story of a heavenly meaning, with a heavenly meaning. Can anybody remember any of the parables in the Bible? My favorite one was the um, the one about the pearl. The pearl of great price? Mm-hmm. All right. Anybody hey, else? John 1. John 1 was not, I don't, John 1 was not really a parable. A lot of the parabolic teachings come in the book of Luke. How many of y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? Yeah. Right? That was a parable. My mom's favorite. What about the one with the sower who sows the seeds and it lands in the soil and the plants grow up? Y'all remember that? We talked about that one in the past before. So Jesus is going to speak parabolically. And when he speaks parabolically, he's going to speak in such a way as to teach us a lesson using earthly things about heavenly realities. Okay? Now remember, when Jesus talks in parables, you would think he's saying it to explain things and to make things easier. But what we find out in the Bible is that parables are actually code. They're a code. And so when Jesus would teach in the parable... He was speaking in a code that would make sense to those who believed him. But to those who did not believe him, it would sound confusing. And they, they would be like, what is this crazy man talking about? He, thought, he don't know what he's talking about, you see. So he would teach and he would speak these truths in a parable. And his disciples and the people that believed him would hear it. And they would come to him later and say, Hey, Jesus, what were you meaning when you said that? That was a really interesting story you were talking about. What did you mean? And then he would explain it to them. And they opened their eyes to understand it. To the people who were not his, it would sound like a bunch of foreign language. And they would be like, Man, this dude's crazy. He don't know what he's talking about. 
So let's look at this parable today. We're going to go to John chapter 10. And remember, as we're reading John chapter 10, we've just come out of John chapter 9. And Jesus has just had a conflict with the non-believers. And he also has a young man who now has eyes that can now see him who is a believer and is following him. Okay? Can we start at verse 1? We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read through verse 21. But today in our class, we're probably only going to get through verse 11, if we even get that far. But we're going to look at John 10, verses 1 through 21, and then we'll go back and break it down. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon, and he is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So we'll stop there with our reading, and now we're going to go back and talk about what we've read today. But if you notice at the very end of that passage, there was a controversy going on. Jesus made this statement, and then part of the crowd said, Why are y'all listening to this guy? He's demon-possessed. He's a wackadoo. He's crazy. Why are you listening to him? But another part of the crowd said, Demons don't talk like this. And this man just opened a blind man's eyes. 
So all of this conversation is coming directly after Jesus has done this miracle. You see? So when Jesus comes into the room, when Jesus spreads His truth through His miracles and through His words, it always causes a division. What do I mean by that? When I say when He spreads His truth, it always causes a division. What do I mean? Because His truth is like a sword and it splits. It splits in half. What does it split in half? What is the split? What will the truth divide? Love. Truth and lies. Truth and lies. Good. What else? Love and hate. Love and hate. Good. What else? Heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. Light and dark. Mm-hmm. Death and life. life. But in this situation, what are we seeing? We're seeing his truth dividing those who believe and those who don't believe. You see how that works? Now, According to the parable that Jesus just gave us, what do we call the ones that believe? Sheep. His sheep. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. The ones that believe are His sheep. How many of y'all remember the teaching where Jesus talks about at the end on the day of the Lord, on the last day, when the angels come down, they're going to divide the what? Sheep Sheep from the goats. What does that mean? The ones who follow Jesus as opposed to the ones who don't follow Jesus. Now, is it possible, is it physically possible for a sheep to turn into a goat? No. What about a goat to turn into a sheep? No. Is that possible? No. No. Why not? Science isn't that far ahead either. Well, it's nothing about science. It's about nature itself. A dog can't turn into a cat. Right? No. A cat can't turn into a dog. A sheep can't turn into a goat. A wolf can't turn into a fish. A cow can't turn into a bird. It don't happen. So, there are sheep and there are goats. There are those who believe him. And then there are those who do not believe him. Now, what would we call a sheep that is not following the shepherd? Uh, Astray. Astray, good. That's exactly right. And so one of the giant principles behind this whole story is that God's truth is going out all over the place. And as that truth goes out, he's saying, my sheep hear my voice. And they know me when I call them by name. And when I call them, what do they do? They follow. They follow. Good. So let's start back at verse 10-1. Um, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter in by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs in some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out to his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, how many of you have a sheepfold at your house? What? A sheepfold. How many of you have ever raised sheep before? Not me. All right. So do you think that this is going to make a whole lot of sense to me and you without some explanation? No, we don't We don't understand what a sheepfold is. Well, let's explain a little of what's going on here. In that time, what do you think most of the people lived off of? Sheep. Because yeah, of the wool, wool and, the and the milk and the meat, right? And so this was a very big part of their economy. So, 
for him to use this, why is he using this illustration? Because it's something that they could all identify with. Mm-hmm. You know, if I told you like this, your friends don't sneak in through the back window. They come to the front door and knock on the door. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? If you catch somebody sneaking in your back window at night, what do you automatically think? A yeah. thief, a robber. They're up to no good. If it was somebody you knew, somebody you trust, somebody you care about, they're just going to come to the front door and knock on the door and open the door up. So in that sense, you can understand if we were to use it in that kind of illustration, it makes more sense to me and you. But back then, what they would do is the shepherds all day long would be out into the fields, and they would be. Why would they go out into the fields so that their sheep could do what? Eat. Eat. And at the end of the day, when it gets dark outside, now what's wrong with having sheep outside when it's dark? Yeah, that's when the their predators come out and try to get them. And it's not that you can't protect them at night, but it's a lot easier to pre- protect them in the daytime than at night, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, not only that, what they would do was at night they would come into the city. And most of the cities back then had big gates, and they would lock the gates down, and everybody would be inside at night. You see? Well, the shepherds would come into town with their sheep. They would come walking into town, and guess what all of their sheep would be doing? Following. Following them, right? And they would follow them into town, and they would get into town, and they would basically have like a parking garage for sheep. It would be called a sheepfold. It was a big, giant pen in the middle of the town, and you would bring all of your sheep in, and they would all go into that little sheepfold to that parking garage, and there they would park all night long. All right. So what you would have happen was you would have uh, Joe's sheep and Billy's sheep and John's sheep and and Jesse's sheep. You'd have everybody's sheep all packed into this big giant sheepfold at night, and then they would leave them there. And then what do you think the shepherds would do? They go get them some rest, go get something to eat. You see, do that kind of thing. Well, the next morning the shepherds would come back down, and they would get their sheep, and they would take them back out of the city into the field so they could feed all day long. And that's what shepherds did. They took care of sheep all the time. Right? So with that background, now it makes a little more sense. Jesus said that he was the good shepherd. He said that he was the door. He says that uh, he... uh, He puts forth his own. He goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him. Look at verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So what does it mean to say that the shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know their shepherd and they know his voice? And he calls them by name. What is so important about calling somebody by name? I mean, they know, they know you. They know They're you. Familiar with you. You're familiar with you. So if I'm sitting here in this room with you right now, and I say, "Hey, you," all of y'all look at me and say, "Who's he talking to?" Like even it, I attribute it to like even with my son, my baby. Even though he's well, he's four years old and he's autistic. Mm-hmm. But even though he's autistic, if he doesn't know you, then even if you call him by his name, he's not gonna go to you. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to want to be here until I say, go ahead and give him hugs, give him love, give him that. And, and isn't it funny with kids, like like you know your mom's voice when she calls you by name? Mm-hmm. And I always knew with my grandmother, if I got called Ronald Travis, You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. If she used my middle name, I knew exactly why she was calling me, you see? And so the, the reality is, is that the shepherd calls his sheep 
And it's a specific call, isn't it? It's personal. It's to you alone. When the Good Shepherd calls you, He's calling you, nobody else, you. And the way that you know He's calling you is that He uses your name. Your name. All right? So basically what these shepherds would do is they would, at the, when it was time to take all the sheep out into the field, uh, the shepherd would go and he'd stand there and he would say, hey, you know, uh, Fluffy and bye-bye and whatever name he called them. And, and guess what all of his sheep would do? They would come out of the door and follow him out of town. Well, guess what the other sheep in the fold would do when that shepherd was calling his sheep by name? Would they follow him too? Will you tell me? I don't know. That was the question I was going to ask. You have all these other sheep. How they 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 don't follow just any any shepherd or so. Each sheep knows his shepherd's voice and would only respond to that voice. If you want to ever see something really cool, um, go to like one of the social media outlets and type in "sheep know shepherd's voice." And there's a video on there of this farmer. Who's uh, out? He's got this big giant field, and the sheep are way over on the other side of the field. And he has a bunch of guests over at his place, like a bunch of visitors, like tourists there. Mm -hmm. And he gets all of them to try to call out to the sheep, like call, and making all these noises, trying to get them to come. And nothing happens. But then after that, that one shepherd goes. He's got a certain voice that he makes. And he calls them, and they know that it's feeding time. And all of a sudden, way out over the hill, you see, ah, ah, and they all just come running over the hill, and they all come running right up to the fence. It's a really cool video. If you get a chance to watch it, go type in "sheep nose shepherd's voice" and watch those videos. It's on YouTube, yeah. And they're really cool. And so the reality is, for the question you were asking, only the sheep who belong to that shepherd would respond to his voice. Now, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, one of the reasons why Jesus is using this parable of the shepherd is because this would be something that would be familiar to all of them. You see? It would be something that was familiar to all of them. They understand sheep. They understand shepherds because it's a part of their culture, a part of their lifestyle, a part of their heritage. But to the religious crowd, maybe Jesus had another reason why he was sharing this parable. So what I want you to do now is I want you to turn with me back into the Old Testament. And let's go look at a warning from an Old Testament prophet in the book of Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel. <laughs> chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Oh, okay. Where is Ezekiel? It's right after Jeremiah and Lamentations. You saw what's the. It's in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34. 34, 34. It's, a, it's a little over halfway through your Bible. Hold on, I'll come back and find it. Verse 1. Um, Net time heaven. <laughs> Please have her alone. I'm trying not to. Life in the drawer. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, Ezekiel was, this is about 700, 500, 
600 years before Jesus was ever born on the earth. And, G- and Ezekiel is giving a warning to the people of Israel. Look what it says in verse 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not they shepherd, should not the shepherds feed the flock? So this prophet is giving a warning to this, these shepherds in Israel. Now, the truth of the matter is, he's not talking to the people who raised the sheep in Israel. He's talking to the kings and the religious rulers. The ones that are supposed to be taking care of his people, the people of Israel. You see how that works? Yeah. So he's talking to these people who are supposed to be responsible for taking care of the sheep, the people of Israel. Almost and, like when he um, flipped the tables of the yeah, money changers yeah, in the temple because yeah. he's all like my house. Yep. Yeah. Turning my Good. house into. So look what it says in verse three, or verse two. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? So what does that mean to say that the shepherds were feeding themselves and not the flock? Make sure that they were spiritually and financially and okay, not feeding the right, people. But yeah. So what happens to your if a shepherd doesn't feed the sheep? What happens to the sheep? They, they die. They starve. They die. So what he's saying is, is the shepherds was keeping all the goodies for themselves and not sharing it with the sheep. Look at verse 3. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was to no one to search for them or seek for them. Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has become food for all of the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. So this prophet was prophesying against these shepherds who were not taking care of the sheep. Can you see where that ties into our story today? Who is Jesus fussing out in this story? The religious leaders. The religious leaders who were letting the people starve. Remember our blind friend that was lost and blind? Look what it says in verse 4. Those that are sick you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound. The scattered you have not brought back. 
and you force them with severity and have dominated them. You see? So Jesus better. Yeah, Jesus is kind of well, not kind of. Jesus is saying the same things to that religious crowd that was Ezekiel had been saying six hundred years earlier. Look what it says next. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. So what he's saying is, I'm going to do this myself. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all of the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lay down on the good grazing ground and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in the good pasture or that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastures or that you should drink of the clear waters that you must foul the rest of the water at your feet? As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet and drink what you foul with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I even I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, he says, because you push with side and with your shoulders and thrust at the wheat with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock and they will no longer be prey and I will judge between one sheep and another. So what is he saying? He's saying you are horrible shepherds. You are using and abusing my sheep and not taking care of them and making yourselves fat while they die and fall away. So he's saying, I will step in and I will come and rescue my sheep myself. And not only that, he said he would judge those shepherds who weren't taking care of the sheep, didn't he? Like having a job. They give you one simple task and you can't do it. Yep. So it's like, you know what? So I, there's one thing in here. I, I always, I, it reminds me of when I was a kid. Look at verse 21. Because you push with the side and with your shoulders and thrust at the wheat with your horns until all of them are scattered abroad. He's talking about how, so when I was a kid, I used to have to feed our cows at our farm. And when you'd go out there with the cow feed and you'd take the, a big bag, a big croaker sack full of sweet feed, and you would pour it into a big bucket for all the cows to come eat out of, the bull would always come up first and get his face in the middle of that bowl and eat. And if any of the other cows tried to get their face in that bowl, you know what he'd do? He'd take his horns and knock them to the side. He would bully them and push them out away from the food so that he could eat it all himself. And that's the picture he's trying to make here, that these shepherds were feeding their own faces and letting the flock around them starve. So watch what he says next. Verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. 
He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing. And I will call showers to come down in their seasons and they will be showers of blessings. Y'all remember that song when you was a kid at church? There will be showers of blessings. Mm-hmm. Remember that song? That's where that it comes from, that verse. Verse 27 says, Also, the tree of the field will yield its fruits on the earth, will yield its increase, and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be prey to the nations, and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. I will establish for them a renowned planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine in the land, and they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord their God, and with them and I and that the house of Israel are my people, declares the Lord. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So it's very important for us to look back in verse 25. He said, I'm going to set over my people one shepherd. See that? One shepherd, my servant David. Now, who is he talking about there? Is he talking about the king David, or is he talking about the son of David? Well, you tell me. I think the son of David. Well, see, the problem is is that David, the King David, has already been dead for a long time. Now, his great-great-great-great-grandson was the king of Israel still, but most of David's grandsons weren't good kings. They're the very bad people that he's, he's fussing about right here. But he said, one day there's going to be one shepherd, my servant David. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is one of David's great, 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 great grandsons. And so here, but 600 years before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Ezekiel is saying God is going to raise up David to be the good shepherd, to take care of the sheep. From the line of David. All right. Now, with that said, let's turn back to your left a little further. Let's go back in. Wasn't King David a shepherd too? Yes, he was. was Very good. Now, matter of fact, let's turn back to the left. They go to Psalms 23. That's one that some of us should be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know who wrote Psalm 23? David. David. A Psalm of David. That's exactly right. So King David wrote this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So King David is showing us what a good shepherd looks like. What does a good shepherd do? He takes care of his sheep. He provides for his sheep. He protects his sheep. He loves his sheep. You see? And so then Ezekiel is making this prophecy saying that one day God is going to give his sheep a new shepherd, one shepherd, his servant David. So what do you think this prophecy is talking about? What is this a prophecy of? Well, who are the sheep? His people. Yeah, we're a sheep. And who's the good shepherd? Jesus. Jesus. So, think about this. And, and then we're going to stay in Psalm to finish up the class today. I want you to think about this. Jesus is the great, 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 great grandson of David. David wrote this psalm about a good shepherd that would take care of the sheep. So David was actually writing about his great, 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 great grandson. And Jesus as a little kid, when he went to the temple, would have sung this song. When Jesus was just a little boy, he'd have went to the temple and sung Psalm 23. Because the Psalms are the Jewish hymn book. Just like you go to church and sing out of your hymn book. Well, this is the songs that the Jewish people sing. So Jesus as a little boy would have went to the temple and sung, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. why he understood it at 12 years old and he said, His mom had to be about my father's yeah. business. So think about that. Now, if we jump in our time machine to the verses we've been studying in John today, we see Jesus standing there in front of a group of false shepherds telling them, I am the good shepherd. And I'm going to do all of the things for my sheep that you refuse to do. You see how that works? So, turn with me to Psalm 118. We're going to finish with that. Psalm 118. Now, and we're going to look at a few verses in Psalm 118. We're going to start in verse 19. Psalm 118, verse 19. Everybody find that? Psalm 118, verse 19. Watch what it says. Open to me the gates of righteousness. Open to me the gates of righteousness. What does a gate do? Keeps you out. It either keeps somebody out or lets somebody in. in. Now remember in our passage from today, Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the gate. So this psalmist says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will enter in through them and I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. So open the gates of righteousness. And what did Jesus say? I am the gate. So what does it mean to open the gates of righteousness? To open the way to the right way of life, right? Mm-hmm. And what does the psalmist say? I will come in. I will give thanks. I will enter in. And I will give thanks to you because you have answered me. You have become my salvation. Verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
Mm. Now, if you remember, that is a prophecy that Jesus used against the people that didn't believe in Him. He said He is the chief cornerstone and it causes some people to stumble. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and He has given us light. Now, y'all remember what happened to that blind man earlier? What happened to his eyes? He got light, didn't he? The Lord has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horn of your altar. You know what that means? Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. What is a sacrifice? And in this sense, it would be an animal who would be killed, right? Would be slayed. So it's saying, offer offer the, the sacrifice. Tie the animal down to the altar. Now, when you sacrifice an animal, why did you have to tie them down to the altar? Because they moved around a lot. They would move around a lot. Not only that, if you held up a knife to one of them, what might they do? Lose their minds. They'll run away, won't they? Did really? any of us in this run room? Run away or attack. Right? 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 So they would tie the sacrifice down so they could kill it. So we see in this passage this way, this offering of salvation to those who will come. A gate. Come through the gate and offer thanks to God for his salvation. And then it says, the Lord God has given us light. Remember what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then he says, you are my God, verse 28, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So you see how all of these passages that we read in the Old Testament today kind of point us back to the story that we were studying earlier, doesn't it? Let's go back and look at that and then we'll be done. we got four minutes left. Look, Go back to John 10. John. John 10, and it says, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the gate into the fold of the sheep but climbs in another way, he is a thief and a robber. Remember what that psalm passage said? Enter in the gate. Look, but he who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep out by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of the stranger's. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them, look at verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the gate of the sheep, or I am the door of the sheep. What does he mean by that? I'm the way that you come in. He's the gatekeeper. He's the gatekeeper, good. And the only way to get into heaven, the only way into salvation is through the gate. And who is that gate open to? All of his sheep. Now, how do his sheep know to come through that gate? 
What did he say? They hear his voice. He calls to them and says, come out of the gate. Right? So think about that. In that time, back in that day, the, all of the sheep would be out in the field feeding and it would be getting closer to sunset. And he'd say, all right. And he'd call all the sheep. What would all the sheep do? Follow. Come and follow me. And where would he take them? Into the city. And he would lock them in the sheepfold. Why? For their what? For their safety and protection. Then the next morning, he'd say, all right, come on. And they would all come out of the sheepfold. They'd have to go through the gate. And they would go out of the city and go out into the field. And what would they eat in the field? Grass. Good. And they'd have drink. Now remember, remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me. Beside the still waters. Still waters was the peaceful way, you see. Look what Jesus said to them. Verse 4. When he puts forth his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what does Jesus mean when he says that he's the gate? I think in another passage he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Good. That's it. That's the exact that's the exact meaning. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John fourteen six. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So you see how Jesus is using this illustration of sheep and shepherds to explain to his followers, to his those who believe in him, mm. to come after him and to follow him. And what will he provide? He will provide protection. He will provide food. He will provide rest. He will provide security, peace of mind, hope, joy, love, peace, patience, all of those things. And that's what he provides for his sheep. He's the good shepherd. He takes care of his sheep. And so what is our responsibility as his sheep? Praise him. Praise him? All right. To listen, to listen for his voice. Hear his voice. And what? To obey his word. Yep. What it, and, and so for that's exactly right. To hear his voice and obey his word. Listen and obey. For a sheep it was what? Hear the shepherd's voice and what? Obey the Follow him. Follow him. And so what does he require of me and you? To hear his voice and to follow him. And it's just that simple. Now, do all sheep follow all the time? Nope. No. No, they get lost a but lot. But he does protect us. Yep. Sometimes we don't even know where he's protecting us Good. from. And one last thing and then we'll be done. Alright? One more thing and then this will carry into the next time we meet together. How many of his sheep does he lose for eternity? Not one. None. Like there's a scripture in the Bible that says, if you raise your children up in, in the word, then they stray, they come back. Yep, that's very true. Kind of like that. Yep, very true. But if he is the good shepherd, he says he is, and I believe he is. I know he is. How many sheep does the good shepherd lose? None. Not one. So there is never going to be one of his sheep in hell, are there? No. Because if one of his sheep wind up in hell, what does that mean? He was a bad shepherd. That he wasn't capable of keeping them safe. Yeah. But on the other side of that, 
there's no ghost going to be in heaven, are there? Mm-hmm. Only those who hear his voice and follow him. Those are the ones who have eternal life. All right? Let's close with a quick word of prayer. And uh, I'll see you all next month, I think it is. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for being a good shepherd. And thank you for loving us and providing for us, even when we're not capable of providing for ourselves. Thank you for all of the things that you do for us. Help us to enter in through that gate, to, to walk with you joyfully, to praise you, to thank you, to worship you, to love you, and to share your love and your truth with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.